So, as it was put this morning, Kenny so aptly put this morning, I'm Randall, I'm Eric's stunt double. Uh, this week, Wednesday night, we had, or Wednesday, we had staff meetings all day, and, and uh, Eric was here for all of them and engaged, and we had one later on in that evening, about five o'clock or so, and it got closer to six, and he said, boy, I'm not feeling so hot, and he started to reaching for his back, and then he just stood up and said, you guys finish, I'm going home. Uh, And he thought he was going home, but he was actually going to the hospital. And so he had emergency surgery to remove his gallbladder. And he is home now, resting, uh, probably watching us uh, online this morning, and he is doing super well uh, for that. Already wants to, he wants to be here, but um, he listened to the Holy Spirit and Melissa Uh, that said, stay home and get some rest, right? And so Wednesday night, it started already while he was in the emergency room, texting like, uh, tell Randall just just in case, just in case. We didn't know what it was at the time. And so my mind starts running, and it's like, okay, uh, you're up. And, um, you know, what would the Lord have uh, for me to say? Then I try to get in Eric's mind, right? So I do some praying. I think, what would Eric do? First thing I did is went out and got my car washed, um, right? Because that's what Eric would do, go out and get his car washed. In the first service, I said I would get my car washed many times and then pray a little bit. And the crowd didn't like that because they thought I was picking on Eric because he wasn't here. And they just went down. So I'm not going to say that second part of the joke, although he's listening uh, to it. Uh, it's not behind his back. I'm just uh, ribbing him. And here's the other thing. From his house on his phone, he can actually con- control the thermostat here. So if things don't go his if you feel like it starts getting like real hot uh, in the service, that's not the spirit of God. That's Eric messing with all of us uh, from his uh, couch uh, at the house. But anyway, so here's the thought. And the thought is a thought that I want you to have as a retreat. Now, I'm thinking of this retreat as most of us think of retreat as a place that we get away from and get away from it all and something that's supposed to be nice and calm and peaceful. And it should be that. But also think of the word retreat in the sense of uh, a military retreat. Hey, we tried something. We're overwhelmed. We're outmanned. We're outgunned. And we retreat. We're not surrendering, but we're pulling back. Have you ever found yourself in a place, you went through something, and you go through that thing, and while you're going through that thing, you don't realize that your life is changing forever. You didn't know. In hindsight, you look back and say, that what we went through, or that person we met, or that thing we heard, or that conference that we attended, Little did we know those people in that place and that thing, boy, that started to work in us. We didn't see the big change at the time. But looking back, we realized that was really life-changing. There are those. But then there are also moments to where you know it in the moment. Most of the time, these are harsh or devastating, heartbreaking moments. There are those moments where you know in the moment that things will never be the same. And it's what you do in that moment. It's what you think in that moment. When you know you realize yourself that from here on out, 
it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be like it was. And things have changed, and maybe everything has changed. What is that thought when your mind begins to race to all of the possibilities and you are sort of bombarded with a whole lot of stuff and all that stuff, none of it's good. This is where we find the writer of this little book in the Old Testament in Lamentations. There's people that wrote the scripture inspired and then there were people that actually put all the letters together. The people that put all the letters together attributes Lamentations to Jeremiah. And for sake of any other kind of argument, I'm just going to use Jeremiah as the writer of Lamentations. Jeremiah writes this little five-chapter, if you'll go over into the Old Testament and look around for Jeremiah, it's, it's right there next door, Lamentations. It's actually a piece of poetry. And he writes this five chapters. And dear friend, it's the most depressing five chapters you'll ever read. I mean, it's just like we're in the hole, we're in the hole, we're in the hole. And for a little brief moment, I lift my head out of the hole. Then I'm back in the hole, and I'm in the hole. Jeremiah experienced what he's writing about firsthand. He saw the destruction of Jerusalem before his eyes, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of his people thrown into slavery. He knew at this moment everything's changing right before my very eyes. He probably writes this piece of poetry later as he's recounting all of that, but nonetheless, a piece of poetry. And it's an interesting piece of poetry. Chapters 1 and 2, as you can see, and 4 and 5, all 22 verses apiece. And they correspond to the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and every verse starts with the next letter. As if to say, everything's changed from A to Z. It's interesting when he's talking about his city and his nation, his church, or in that instance, it would be his temple or his people. He goes from A to Z, 22 verses, 22 letters of the alphabet. It's like, I'm covering it all. But when he gets to chapter 3, now it's personal. And Jeremiah starts talking about uh, what I've experienced and how I have felt like I have been treated from the Lord, by the Lord. And this is why you might say he runs on to 66 verses. Because he has firsthand account of how this thing feels. And he has a little more to write about what he's going through. And it's interesting to note that in the middle of the little piece of poetry, the exact middle verse, which would be chapter 3, verse 33, like you're sticking a tent post or a pole up in a tent, there's this one verse. And I love it, and I love the way Jeremiah writes Lamentations because he starts out, things are bad. Things are bad. Even into chapter 3, most of chapter 3 are things are bad. But then for a little brief moment, right in the middle of chapter 3, which would be the middle of the piece of poetry, it's like he's in this hole, right? He's in this pit. And for a brief moment, just before he gives up all hope, it's like he, he scratches himself up to the top, looks around, gets a breath of fresh air, 
restores his hope, and then he goes right back down into the pit. Now, if you and I were writing it in an American Christianity kind of way, we would end on what Jeremiah said right in the middle because we like to end on a good note, right? But that's not reality sometimes. Sometimes reality is I recognize things are bad. I know that there's hope in God. That's a good thing. But my situation ain't changing immediately. So things are still bad. That's reality. And this is what Jeremiah says in in chapter 3 and verse 33. This is like the the support right in the middle. He says this. In other words, the other stuff I'm going to read you in just in a minute about how he felt like he was being treated by God, you're going to say, oh, now I understand this verse here. But I want you to see the support first. This verse right in the middle, he says, he, talking about God, does not afflict willingly. This I know about God. Why is, God, why is God bringing you through this? Why is God doing this? Is it discipline? Is it correction? I don't know all of those answers. Whatever hand God has in it is not willingly. God's not delighted in what's going on, friend. No more than any parents delighted in correcting their children. Now, maybe if you're raised like I was raised, you think that, I think my mom likes this. I think she likes whipping me, chasing me, correcting me. But I've learned, having for my own, it's not really my thing. I would rather not. And if there's any correction taking place, it's because I love you, not because I hate you. And so it's not in my heart to see any of this uh, take place in your life. It's not from my heart Jeremiah understood this. Now look at here at the verses. This uh, chapter 3, many more before this, many after after this, but here's Jeremiah seeing his whole world change, talking about his nation, talking about his people, talking about the temple, talking about the, uh, the, uh, the city, but then he gets personal. He says this, he has led me, talk about, you've led me and brought me into darkness, not into light. Surely against me he has turned, he's turned against me. He turns his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin as he made old. He's broken my bones. Look at verse 7. He's hedged me about. I cannot get out. You know, hear Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, I'm stuck. Not only am I stuck, God's the one that hedged me about. I see no way out of this. Now, friend, be honest. Jeremiah is saying some stuff that you thought, but you didn't want to voice. Because you thought if you voiced it, it made your faith look weak. It just makes your faith look real. Jeremiah said, I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's any way out of this thing. I feel stuck. Look at verse 8. He says, when I cry and shout and I pray to the Lord, the Lord shut, he shuts out my prayer. Have you ever said, God, are you listening? Verse 11, he has turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. (laughs) He's made me desolate. Look at this imagery. He has bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. (laughs) Jeremiah says, I feel like I'm the target. 
You ever felt like the target? Have you ever felt like, yeah, you're the target and the, and the archer is God? He doesn't miss. Hillsong's one of my favorite uh, worship bands, with, with the exception of our house band here. Hillsong's my second favorite worship band. I would love Hillsong to take this verse and make a worship song out of it. Can you imagine? I feel like a target, and I feel like God's shooting at me. I said this very, got to this place in the first service. After the service, my son said, uh, my youngest son said, I felt like a target before. Remember dad out at the farm used to shoot the, uh, what was it? No, not the groundhog, shooting at him. I made him the target. I'd have him to run across, and we'd shoot those little paintballs at him. And um, I don't remember it. I don't think it happened. I think he's just trying to make me feel bad, so I'll buy lunch today. <laughs> Chances are that did happen. You ever felt like the target? Jeremiah says, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. Verse 17, look at this. And you've removed my soul far off from peace. I've had no peace. I've felt no peace. I'm not at peace. <laughs> I have forgot prosperity. I don't know what a good day feels like. I don't know what a, a good day feels like. And I said, verse 18, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Losing all hope. But wait, that's verse 18. 19 and 20 talks about remembering bad and remembering bad then he says this in verse 21. When he gets to that moment, then he says this, this I recall. Now, the two previous verses, he used the word remember. He doesn't use that word here. This I recall because this is an intentional retreat. It's like I've got my mind and my heart in a place that I just know is not healthy for me. And I'm trying to draw conclusions that I probably shouldn't be drawing right now. And I'm trying to figure out what God's doing, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, found, I find myself in this place to where the stuff I'm thinking is not good stuff. And so Jeremiah says, what I know I've got to do is I've got to draw back. I've got to pull back. I've got to retreat. So I recall this intentional, on purpose, I'm going to think these thoughts. The other thoughts from chapter 1 and chapter 2 and most of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, those are the thoughts that I'm having just naturally rolling right off my tongue because that's how I feel. But I'm, I'm going to have a few thoughts that are going to stop all of that mind racing. I'm gonna have, I need to have a few thoughts that stops me in my tracks and says, don't make decisions, don't draw conclusions, don't say God is this and God is that and I'm done with it and I can't figure it and my faith is weak and I'm gone and I have no. Don't do that. Jeremiah says, when I get to that spot, I retreat. Because look at what the second part of the phrase is. I retreat, I recall this to mind. And I'm going to share the next three verses and if you've got a Bible, you're looking at it. He said, and when I call these next three thoughts to mind, therefore I have hope. Just before I lose my hope, I'm going to stop and retreat, pull back, draw back. I'm going to think of these things. 
And these things, they give me no prediction about what the future holds, but they help me right now, and they give me hope. Look at the verse. Verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies, he says, that we are not consumed. That's like baseline, right? I'm still here. He hasn't completely wiped me out. I'm not gone. I'm not consumed. Because, why is that? Because his compassions fail not. His compassions fail not. Doesn't seem so compassionate when when things are in turmoil. But God's compassions fail not. And look at this, verse 23. They, what's they? His compassions and mercy. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Will they always be new? Look at the next part of the phrase. Great is his faithfulness. The greatest thing about God is his faithfulness. Because if there was anything else about him that we love, if if he's not faithful, then all those other things are vulnerable. But dear friend, God is faithful and his mercy is renewed every morning. And tomorrow morning, his mercy will be renewed for you. His compassion will be renewed for you. He doesn't get put out with you. He's not frustrated with you. He doesn't dread seeing you come to him in prayer. He looks forward to it. He longs for it. In fact, he says, please bring your burdens to me. Sometimes we feel like we have overshared and we've said all we know to say and we've just carried this burden for so long that everybody must just be tired of hearing me talk about this burden. And God says, I'm not. My mercy's renewed every morning. I'm anxious to hear from you. I want to see you. When you find yourself in this way, the Lord says, I I'm not, I not only promise to be there, he wants to be there. Some of us show up and minister from time to time because we know it's the right thing to do, because we do feel for one or another. But do we always want to? God always does. He wants to come alongside. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. That's his inheritance. That's what he knows he's got coming to him, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Just before, things are bad. I feel like a target. I feel like I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm circled up. I, I'm stuck. I don't know which way is up. I don't know what to do. My my hope is about to fail me. But just before that, this I recall to my mind. And because of that, therefore, I have hope. Three little simple things that I want to sort of send you into 2020 with. Because if you're not feeling this sort of this, um, this, Uh, racing, this mind-racing thing somewhere along the line this year, you will. And you're going to need a thought because it starts with a thought. And And that thought, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. It's that thought in your mind that can cause you to pause before you go too far down a road. Number one, as simple as it sounds, I'm still here. You're still here. I am not consumed. 
Well, what's so great about that, Pastor or Randall? Did you understand that? I, yeah, I am still here, and I'm here in this trouble, and I'm in this problem, but you're still here. And you know what that means? That means there's purpose for you. There's a plan for you, a divine, God's got something for you. And he's probably in the midst right now working it out. You're still here. There's a mountain to climb. There's a ministry uh, that, that you're going to be a help in. There's, there's still blessing that you're going to cause for other people's lives. It's not always just going to be the blessing coming back to you. You're going to be blessings to other people. Well, Randall, I just don't under, I don't see how I can because I'm the one in need of the blessing. Yes, for now, for this moment. But you're still here. God's not done. The last chapter's not written about your life. Your story is not over. We could probably just write in the middle of it and you have no idea how the story is going to end, but God does. And right now, it might seem like a story that you want to really get through real quick and get on to the next chapter. And I can make no promises about that. But what I can say is, you're still here. God's got a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And dear friend, he is just as involved in you and for you and thinking about you as he is in any famous preacher or missionary out there. Oh, what they're doing is big stuff. What they're doing is, I understand how God's, you know, God's involved in their life and God's got, no, 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 for you, for me, the average, the folks in the middle, the people that the books aren't written about, for us. This is who God works with, I think, best. He comes to shepherds to declare his message. Why, why shepherds? Their, their testimony is not even allowed in the court of law. They're looked down upon. But that's who God deals with, the shepherds. He comes to Mary and Mary Magdalene. And I want you to, uh, Mary was the first, the mother of Jesus was the first to hear of, of a coming Messiah. And Mary Magdalene, one whose seven devils were cast out of, uh, was the first to hear of a resurrected Savior. Why does God? Jesus didn't go and, and, and pull out students from the rabbinical school in the New Testament. He went after fishers and farmers, average people. Why? Because he's got his mind on you. Not just the big characters of the scripture, the little folks nobody hardly knows anything about. God's got his mind on you. And you're still here, which tells me he's, he's not done with you yet. Number two, tomorrow is a new day. Oh, I love this. I love this. What's new about it? His mercies and his compassion. What's so big about that? Just think with me a moment. We're not talking about my mercy and my compassion. We're talking about God's mercies and his compassion. They're new every morning. It doesn't get old with him. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get fed up. It's not like, oh my gosh, there's that number again on my phone. And I don't know what else to say. And I've said all that I know to say and bless their hearts. And I just don't know what else to do. That is not your father. His mercy is new 
every morning. He is fully and completely engaged in you. You're the apple of his eye. He wants to hear from you. He loves you. He begs you to come to him. Let's talk about it. Bring it to me. I want to, do, I want to work with you. I want, to do, I want to be close. I want you to know and sense and not only know my presence theologically and in the scriptures, but I want you to feel my presence. It's new every morning. Hey, listen, in the morning when you wake up, maybe sometimes you go and, uh, and you open the door just before your day and there's this little box with a half of a smile on it and you realize, oh man, Amazon came, right? And we all get excited because uh, something's been delivered to our home. And how exciting that is. I always like that. Other than the fact that I know that whatever this is is not for me, but I also paid for it. So that's always, you know, sort of a, it's not all joy. Unless, that's, unless I see the kids' names on it. And they, for whatever reason, wanted to send it to our address. Now, I love those because I'm going to open it anyway. And that's something that I didn't pay for. He said, well, that, you shouldn't do that. They shouldn't send it to my house then if they don't want me to open it, but I'm going to anyway. In the morning, there's going to be a new delivery at your door. And it's not from Amazon. It's from God. And you open it up and there's mercy and there's compassion. And there's energy and there's fire and there's power. Why would you not take advantage of that? Say, Randall, I'm tired, and I, it's a feel-good idea, and listen, I get it, I get it, and that's why I appreciate Jeremiah so much, because he got it too, and he didn't end on this note. He, he dealt with reality. I understand, and I'm not making light of what you're going through, and I'm not saying that it's a little thing, and I'm not saying that it's a little thing that can be just dismissed with a few extra thoughts, and oh yeah, think, think good thoughts, and everything's going to be okay. That wasn't Lamentations. Lamentations was real, the hurt was real, the brokenness was real, and there wasn't really like at the end of it this great big plan or strategy to get out of it. It's just in that little brief moment where you lift your head up out of the hole and you realize God's not done with me. I'm still here. And you realize that tomorrow is a brand new day. Who knows what it will bring forth? Someone you meet, something you hear, some experience you have, the blessing you're going to be to somebody else. Who knows? With God, are you kidding me? The options, dear friend, are limitless. And he ends with this, that God's heart is for me. He's just, he's, he's for me. He's not against me. He's for me. He likes me. He likes you. He likes you. He not only loves you, he likes you. I love my kids. Most of the time, I like my kids. I like them. I just like them. I'm for them. I'm pulling for them. They don't have a bigger fan than me. And listen, if you being evil, talking about me, Jesus said, if you being corrupted know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? You can't even fill that in. 
How much more? That's open-ended. How much more does your heavenly Father love you? How much more will your heavenly Father give unto you the gift of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because he loves you and he's for you. Is that going to change it all tomorrow? Probably not. But what it will do, it'll give you a retreat. It'll give you a moment. Lift your head up out of that hole, dear friend. Look around. God's for me. I'm still here, and tomorrow's a brand new day. Take that in and get you a breath of fresh hope. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment? I want to pray good words. We call it a benediction, but it's good words over you. I said to the little huddle that we have of volunteers at 8.30 this morning, good news and bad news. Bad news is everybody that we see this morning, most everybody, many of them, will have heavier burdens than what will appear on their faces. The good news is we're in the Father's house and we're about the Father's business. And we're not looking to each other for the answers. We're looking to the holy God of heaven who is interested and engaged in you and where, you're, where you are and what you're going through. And it is that God that we call upon this morning. It's that God that I call upon for you this morning. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak right now in this moment to that dear lady that woke up this morning and just to get here, just to decide again to come and to hear worship that she enjoys but she doesn't feel. That guy who enjoyed his trip to church this morning with his wife and they talk about other stuff because if they started talking about the kids, it would pull the conversation down and their hearts, Lord, are heavy. I pray, Holy Spirit of heaven, that you would touch that heart right now, touch that spirit, heal in this room, give healing to us, speak to us. I pray for a moment, we could lift our head and get a fresh breath of hope. Do that right now. This is what we call up and ask you to do in your name and according to your word as we understand it. In Christ's name, amen.